and you turn the lights on and all of these steel beams are just everywhere. And so it's like, and you're like, you start kind of shrinking down your seat a little bit more. Cause you're like, man, these are like getting, these are not very far away from the cart, but yeah. it's like, there's just like all the magic is gone. And then suddenly you're like, Oh, this all is just like steel. And it's like all the lights are like all the magic goes away. And you're like, Oh, it's just like a big empty container that has a bunch of steel beams and this track. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith, as well as teaching you to think critically for yourself. You cannot allow us to do the work for you. It's something you have to do if you're going to grow. And so we are here to be your guides. We're here to help you along your journey. But ultimately, it's a journey you have to do at your own pace in your own time. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome everybody. I just want to pick up on what he was talking about. And that is, is our goal is to coach you in the faith by giving you a solid understanding of the biblical context in which Jesus taught what he taught, did what he did, accomplished what he accomplished. So it's all about uh, strengthening your faith, empowering your faith by giving you knowledge and giving you context and, and allowing you to know what you believe and why you believe it. So really excited about it. So we're in the middle of our series, Jesus Loves Me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is based off the idea of the children's song where we break yes. this children's song down that, I mean, it's a pretty widely known song and really talk about how these elements of this song really break down the core elements of the Christian faith. Yes. And without these pillars, these essentials of the faith, yes, uh, it all falls apart. If you're not believing all of them, if you're not, if you're not living like they're all true, then it, it's not a real, it's not yeah, a real that's thing. That's the key. And you know, if you're not living as if they're true, right. You know, that's knowing true. them in your head and then living Right, exactly. That out are very different things. Very different things. So tell us about the next part. So um, we've talked about who Jesus mm-hmm. was last week. Um, so we're on the Jesus part. We finished that part of the song. Yeah. The next one is loves. What are we talking about today? Well, the first essential is who Jesus is. He is the son of God. He is God, part of the Trinity, and it says Jesus loves. And so what we're going to talk about is uh, what motivates God. Why did God do what he did? Why did he come to earth like he did? Mm. And so we're going to talk about the motivation for why God, his intent. And that's really important. That is a critical essential of the faith. Because when you look at all the other belief systems out there, you, they're all based on a specific intent of the deity. Mm. And what is the intent of the deity, Jesus Christ? And so we're going to focus on a conversation that the apostle John recorded in the gospel according to John between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. So, uh, this conversation is found in John chapter three. This yes. conversation also includes the most famous words of Jesus, mm-hmm. John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's dig in and see why these words are so famous. So we're going to start John chapter three, verse one. Actually, we'll start in verse three. Nope. Verse one. Okay. 
Okay. You decide. I will start at verse one. <laughs> I just wrote this down slightly wrong, confusing myself with my own notes. Uh, all right. So verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So talk to us yeah, about Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus. Okay. This is really important because this conversation, I think John, you know, obviously inspired by the Holy spirit, but he, he, what he was trying to do is he's trying to show the cultural context in which Jesus Christ in the revelation that he was God and that he would die for our sins to reconcile us back into himself fell into. This is the cultural context. And what's really important to understand is Nicodemus, and you, you hear about him throughout the gospels. He was a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. And yet he was very sympathetic to Jesus and which became a believer, which was not Pharisees. the usual. Yeah. He was a follower um, and became more so. But the reason John records this isn't to show that Nick, you know, the what Nicodemus was in per se, but how it was so difficult for even those who were sympathetic to Jesus or acknowledge that he was from God, uh, for them to understand this whole thing that was happening Mm. and because it didn't fit into their existing paradigm and their paradigm, particularly for Jews is that, uh, God operated much like our legal system does today. You know, he's very confusing, it's convoluted, (laughs) and it goes by rules that only specially trained people, lawyers, can understand, and it's adjudicated. The point is it's supposed to be fair and just, but you look at our, you know, judicial system today, and sometimes you're like, well, is that really fair? Or sometimes they send innocent people to jail and and things of that nature. And so in the old test or in this period of time, first century from the old Testament concept is that these Pharisees were lawyers and they were the people that were trying to figure out how to appease God mm. because God, even though uh, like David uh, in the Psalms and other old Testament passages talk about the heart of God, the character of God. The problem is, is that because they had distilled it to the law You know, they believed that the way you related to God was purely through the law. And the reason why there's a direct correlation in their mind, the reason why bad things were happening is because we were not keeping the covenantal law. And the biggest problem they had is they were not in control of the Holy city, Jerusalem. They were not in control of the temple at that time. The Romans were ruling over them. And so there was because the people of Israel we're not keeping the covenant. And this is what they believed because of these old Testament pro, uh, uh, promises that they had built this on. And then what happened is what they didn't understand is that the covenant was a promise that was true, but it was a promise of a forthcoming Messiah. Mm. So Jesus shows up and, and Nicodemus represents how difficult what Jesus was presenting to them was for them to just grasp. I mean, it was, the notion that God was personal and that God was loving and God wanted you with him was really a shock to the system uh, that they had set up the bureaucratic religious system that they had set up. So this really though is important to understand the intent of Jesus when he came in this conversation with Nicodemus and his struggle to understand it 
represents the clarity for which Jesus speaks about his intent for coming. Hmm. So let's keep reading. Uh, we'll pick up at verse three, actually verse three this time. Uh, <laughs> Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the king into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So so what's really interesting, let's work backwards here, and that is is that what Jesus is saying is that, okay, you, you, you can, the wind blows, you can hear it and you can see the effects of it, but you don't know where it really comes from. You don't really know where it's going or where it's going to end up, which is even still true today. Right. We know what causes wind and we have a good idea kind of where we're going to have winds, but we don't know where it from it originates and we don't know when it will stop or piddle out right. with any specificity. And so Jesus is talking about this from the standpoint that, okay, there's something going on here that you're not going to be able to nail down, you know, with your lawyer mind from the old covenant law. Then he works back and he goes, but why is this so strange to you? Because you must be born of the flesh, you know, water, you must be born of the spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. So this is the whole notion of being born again. Mm -hmm. And that is, is that, uh, Paul kind of picks up on this when he says in his letter to the Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so we must be made alive in Christ through redemption, which comes through his blood that was shed on the cross. So we must be rebirthed mm. spiritually because spiritually we're dead. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. And he's trying to get across the point that there is so much more. Now, see, what happened is uh, Greek philosophers in the 3rd, 4th, 5th century BC, so this is, you know, 400 years before Jesus was born, had come up with this notion that, well, we have this strong, really, belief in the spiritual, and we have this really strong belief in the material world. And these two are separated mm. and never the twain shall meet, so to speak. And it was called platonic dualism. Okay. And, and so what happens is what Jesus is doing is he's actually bringing these two things together. Mm. So there's a material birth, right? You must be born of the water. You must be born of the spirit. And there's a spiritual birth. Your, so your soul and your body are intertwined. They're right. connected and you must be born both ways in order to enter into the kingdom of God. So this is a really significant point is that Jesus is saying you must be born, not just physically, but spiritually as well in order to be connected to God. So, I mean, he's kind of drawing a line in the sand almost, right? He's like, this is the only way up. Yeah. Well, what he's doing is he's, he's, this conversation is he's setting a sequential steps of how 
you are connected to God. And in the process, he's going to communicate to us why God is doing what he's doing. Mm. But we have to, we have to first accept the fact that we must be rebirthed. Right. I, I cannot get to God by following the law. So he's, he's basically saying what you guys know is, or what you guys are adhering to so tightly yeah. isn't the way anymore. Yeah, that is correct. There's a you, new, there's you, a new covenant coming and yes, this is the way. This is the new way. Yeah. All right. So let's keep reading. Uh, verse nine, we pick up Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So, so what we see here now is Jesus referencing himself as God. Again, he goes, I am the son of man. He calls him that self all the time. And, and, uh, he says, I descended from heaven. So no one's gone to heaven. He goes, but I descend, no one has gone, ascended into heaven and then come back to tell you about this, but I've descended from heaven. So this notice his verbiage. Right. He doesn't say I was alive. I died, went to heaven. And then I came back to tell you the way, right? He's not saying that he's saying I descended. So that's his origination point. Mm. So that's a big deal. I originated there. That's always been there. I descended. And he goes, what's really interesting is he goes, you are the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. He goes, how is it that you can read this old Testament law? You can read the book of Deuteronomy. You can read the Psalms. You can read all these, uh, prophets. They say the same thing over and over again, you know, sacrifice, is not what I desire. You know, these, all these laws and rules and regulations, what I want is a heart devoted unto me and that, you know, we are made righteous by our faith Mm. and King David was a man after God's heart. And so there, there was all this old Testament language that was very relational in its orientation Mm. and its emphasis on faith. And what's fascinating is he's saying, you're a teacher of Israel right now. And you don't even, you don't even see that. Cause it's right here, but you don't see it. He goes, and I, I, I'm telling you earthly things and you're not getting it. How could you even get spiritual things? And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, you must be born a second time, which is a spiritual rebirth. And you're struggling to understand this because you don't understand that I've descended to come and show you the way. Mm. So he continues on in 14 and says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There it is. There it is. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So we've got the big verse. Yeah, there it is right there. Verse 16. It's right there. You know, it encapsulates so much, but today I think what has happened is because we've, you know, focused on that and we've truncated everything. We forget that it exists in this conversation Yeah, and it's in this conversation that brings all the context. And what's really interesting is verse 17. I really like the accuracy by which they interpreted the uh, original Koine Greek. It says, God, it used to say, God did not send his son into the world. They used a uh, possessive pronoun that doesn't exist in the Greek. 
And that is for the longest time, they were trying to figure out, well, how, how do we show this intimate connection in English between God and the son? And, but now it says for God did not send the son into the world. And so that's really important to understand is that it's a, once again, a reference to the fact that Jesus was preeminent with, you know, God, he, he was God. Right. And he took the form of a human being after he emptied himself to do so. And he goes, now, why would he do this? And what's really interesting, he says, because God loves the world. God loves the world. And then, and then he backs up one more in verse 14 and notice the context of it. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now this is a reference to the old Testament. And that is after Moses led the Israelites out of captivity. And then they escaped the Egyptians when they crossed the Red Sea. And so they're out there. And what happened is the people started complaining and they were like, oh, we want to go back to Egypt. That's where I'm and, at in my Bible in a year study right now. I'm in Exodus l- yeah. listening to them, them complain, complain all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, which is an interesting thing because, you know, here God has delivered you on the promise and w- what, what happens? They complain about it. Well, and he keeps giving them these like miracles. So you're getting manna from heaven, the water from the rock. And they're like, well, we're going to die out here. There's no way we're going to make it. It's like, I'm literally making food and water from you out of nowhere. (laughs) Why can you not trust me? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like everybody today, you know, (laughs) we, we're we're so that way. We've not got that far. (laughs) We've not matured that much because, you know, God's doing miracles every day. And we were like, yeah, mm -hmm. come on, God. Um, uh, basically what he's saying though, is because of their, their stubbornness and their ingratitude and their sinful behavior, because they're under a covenantal legal contract, you know, mm-hmm. with, with God is that, uh, serpents then come into the camp and their poisonous serpents and, you know, snakes and you get bit and you die. Mm. And so Moses goes to the people or goes to God and says, well, what, what can I do? The people, you know, are being harassed and everything. And so God says, okay, here's what you do. He goes, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a giant pole and stick it in the middle of the camp. And so this is what's really fascinating um, is that God didn't say, okay, I'm going to take all the snakes away. Not going to do that. You're going to take care. (laughs) He says, yeah, in a way, it's really interesting. He says, you know, put this bronze snake on a pole in the center. And so he does that. And he says, anybody who gets bit by a snake, if they turn and look upon the bronze serpent, they will be healed. Hmm. So that's what happened is if they got bit by a snake, they would, you know, usually you're in it, maybe in a tent or you're cooking, you know, they'd run out, they'd look at the thing and then they would be healed from the poison. Yeah. They wouldn't get sick. They wouldn't die. And so that, that was what God was doing. Even then is he was teaching them how this works. You know, God, God's not Santa Claus. He doesn't violate your free will. He's not, you're not a pawn that he's just manipulating. Uh, he wants a living, breathing relationship with you, which means you have to participate in it. You have to exercise your free will. You have to exercise intent and passion and commitment and loyalty and mm. honor. Now, are those things uh, works? No. What they are is they are the fruit of a heart that's been touched by the living, dynamic Jesus Christ in their life. And so, 
You know, it's like you can't make somebody fall in love, but boy, you know when they are. Right. You know, kind of a thing. And so even that illustration was showing it. And what he's saying is that as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. So this is a reference to his death on a cross. He was lifted up, Mm. you see, and he died on that cross. And that is so whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And this is really, really important point I want to make right here. I want everybody to stop what you're doing. Uh, If you're cutting the grass or you're taking a walk or you're working out, just stop for a half a second. I want you to get this. Okay. Because we've only quoted the verse, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. What we have missed is he says, whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So it's not believe there is a Jesus. There is, it isn't just believe that there was a guy with long hair and did stuff um, who said some really nice things. What he's, what he's getting at very specifically in verse 14 and 15 before 16 is this, is that you must believe that he is the path to eternal life. What he did, just like the serpent was lifted up on the post, as Moses did it, the son of man will be lifted up. So Mm. as the serpent was a salvation from being bit by a snake, right? Jesus is the salvation from death in this world. And so that's really, really important because what our world today has done is distilled it down to, well, I believe in Jesus. And what people mean by that is, well, I intellectually accept the fact that there is a Jesus. Tylenol gets rid of a headache. You know, uh, Tiger Balm works on my arthritis. And, you know, I sleep on memory foam because it's good for me. And I eat oatmeal so I can keep my cholesterol low. So you have all these intellectual facts, but people don't see it as what he's actually saying is that it is a belief in the living God who loved me, gave himself up for me. And so now from this moment on, I'm now alive. I'm not dead anymore because mm. of what he did for me. And, and that is until you get a hold of that, you will never understand or experience the overwhelming, gracious love of God in your life. So let's finish up kind of the section where we're looking at today. Uh, We'll pick up back in 18. He says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Okay, now this is the end of the conversation with Nicodemus, and this context is so important to John 3.16. So 3.16 says, God loved the world that he gave the Son in order that through him we would not perish but have eternal life. So it's 100% love is what Mm -hmm. motivates God. But now we understand what real love is. You see, this is where where we're we're really going to dig into this on Sunday and then then on Thursday as we apply to this, and that is, is that the reason why so few people have a living encounter with God, with Christ in their life, is because they don't realize they have no idea what love is. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't have any idea. They think they do, 
but there are ideas based upon a world definition of love, which is defined by them in fairy tales and in uh, uh, movies and songs. And, and uh, we'll, we'll get into what all those are. It's all about Eros, which is all, it's a hundred percent today, erotic sexual love. That's what love is, is sex. Right. It's lust. I call it the lustification. This comes out of the uh, adoption. This is what's really fascinating about our culture. And that is, is that, Freud basically said something that was so radical. And that is, is what the human race for thousands and thousands of years basically accepted. The thing is that sex is something that manifests the passion for sex and all that. When you go through puberty, Mm -hmm. right? When you're a kid, there's no sexual stuff with kids because they're kids, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Freud came along and he sexualized everything. He sexualized nursing. He sexualized infant development. He sexualized everything. So what he did now, what was so fascinating is that every scientist, social scientist has gone back and said, Freud was nuts. (laughs) Everything he said is completely invalidated and wrong. But guess who believes this concept now today? Our society. Right. So we got rid of all of his research. We got rid of all of his conclusions, but our society adopted his overall point. And that is that your sex and who you're sexually attracted to defines your identity as a person. And that predates any puberty or manifestation of sexuality. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to be gross, but I am salty. And so this is an adult conversation here. And that is the... Self-pleasure completely nullifies this argument in any way, shape, or form. So anybody who's ever pleasured themselves, you know, that we talk about masturbation, is anybody who's ever done that nullifies the notion that you can build an identity on sexuality. Because if you do that, then anybody who's ever done that is the epitome of narcissism, and there's no reality outside of yourself. Right. Now, I know this is very abstract, but, and I know what I said was really kind of weird. So go back and listen to it again if you have to, <laughs> and then let that truth just sink in on you. Because anybody who's ever participated in that or done that, guess what? You nullify this notion of Freud's idea that everything is sexualized. Mm. It just, it's just false across the board. But our society has adopted that. And this is what's really interesting. And this is why at its core, everybody in America that is not a redeemed believer hates Christians. Because of this. Because of this. This is the core. It, it all comes down to this, is that this is, a, this is why people hate Christians. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear of his deeds will be exposed. And so the reason why people in our culture today are so opposed to Christianity is not because Christianity is wrong. Mm -hmm. It's because it's light. And what they're fearful of is everything I built my identity on, which is myself, or my sexual orientation. And I I don't mean people that are part of the LGBTQ community, which it would include that, but I mean, anybody and everybody. I I talk about the, the woman who left her husband because she's, she's not happy, you know, even though he's a good man, the guy who has an affair with his uh, uh, coworker, you know, even though he's got a loving wife at home and three kids is because our society is elevated since the sixties, the sexual revolution that 
your sexuality is so ingrained with your identity that if you don't pursue it, you're lying to yourself. Mm. See, that's the thing is you're lying to your authentic self. And well, what if your authentic self is a lie? That really throws a wrench in the whole thing, doesn't it? And, and so, and, and how do you know what your authentic self is when it's based on a Freudian idea that, that everybody has been, agrees that everybody is, is just, yeah, it's crazy. How, how does that, how does that work? Well, I mean, you start to see all the incongruence, how it's all illogical. That doesn't mean that we don't love sex, that we don't pursue intimacy with our spouse, and that that's one of the greatest things about being married. And I mean, there, there's all those things. But what has happened is sexuality has become a God that is worshiped. And in the name of this God, it has created sexual harassment in the workplace. What's the biggest problem that women face in the workplace that is sexual harassment? You right. know, it, the Me Too movement is a result of that. The, the breakdown of the family is a result of worshiping this God to the point where now kids are, more kids are being raised in blended or broken single parent families than they are being married uh, or being raised in nuclear families. Right. And all research over and over points to the simple fact that it's a lot less better outcomes when you're raised in those environments. And so, but our society over and over again worships this God. And so Jesus shows up and Christians show up and say, well, we need to find our identity in Christ. And guess what? They hate that mm. across the board because it, it because they would rather lo love the darkness because when you see the light, there's fear it's fear that what I'm doing is going to be exposed for the vapidness that it is, you know? Um, so I think the perfect example of this is a, is a nightclub, you know, there, uh, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there was this nightclub that was, uh, kind of close to our house or whatever. And sometimes at night when you're out walking and stuff, you could hear the music thumping and bumping mm. and you know, all this kind of stuff and super popular, always crowded to get in, you know, well, I was working on a crew, a construction crew that had to go in there and, and fix something or do something, you know, so you go in there and they turn on all the lights, you know, all your work lights and everything right. so that you can like, uh, we were fixing, I don't know, doors or trim. I can't even remember so long ago. And it was just the most disgusting place. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, and you know, because you've worked in this industry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of bars, a lot of clubs, a lot of places like that that are meant for nightlife. Yeah. They don't worry about what it looks like when all the lights are on because you just turn them all down low and turn yeah. on the flashing lights and nobody can tell. And it's so cool and yeah. there's fog and it's just so, there's just genre. Smoke and mirrors, smoke, right? It's all smoke and mirrors. And then what happens is when you turn it off in the daytime and you go in there and you You're go, like, dude, you can catch something. <laughs> well, it, it all, I mean, it kind of reminds me like, it's, it's, it's a different analogy, but if you, have you ever been in space mountain in Disneyland when they've like had to stop the ride in the middle of the ride? No, that's never happened to me. Okay. You don't want it to. Cause when they stop the ride, they have to turn the work lights on in there. Cause yeah. otherwise you're just sitting in the dark and that, you know, would cause yeah. people to freak yeah. out and you turn the lights on and all of these steel beams are just everywhere. And so it's like. And you're like, you start kind of shrinking down your seat a little bit more because you're like, man, these are like getting, these are not very far away from the cart, but yeah. it's like, there's just like all the magic is gone. And then suddenly you're like, oh, this all is just like steel and 
it's like all the lights are like all the magic goes away and you're like, Oh, it's just like a big empty container that has a bunch of steel beams and this track. It's like, it's a very different experience when you reveal, yeah. when you strip when all you of strip, the, yeah, you turn the lights on and you get a whole different, the magic is gone. Magic I love the way gone. you said the magic is gone. Cause, and that's just it is that whenever you turn on the light and the magic is gone, then what you believe isn't real. Hmm. What you believe isn't real. And, and this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying is that the son of man must be lifted up because I've come to love you and to reconcile you back to myself. But what you have to realize is that if you choose not to believe the truth, you are already judged. Mm. He says you've already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ. And what's the judgment? How am I already judged? Well, I'd rather live in the illusion than live in the reality. And I would rather lie to myself than know the truth about myself. I would rather live filled with anxiety and fear and the notion that it's all going to come collapsing down because deep within my soul, way back there, if I'm in that not nightclub or if I'm in uh, magic, what is it? Space, Ma- Mountain. Space Mountain. I know that this is really just an illusion. Right. I know that. And then, but I don't want to admit that to myself. So It says, because I am afraid, I'm afraid that everything I've poured myself into everything I've pursued for my whole life is going to be exposed as what it really is empty. Mm. It's death. It's not real life. And, but verse 21, he says, he who practices the truth. So if I start practicing, if I start doing, it's not an intellectual ascent. It's okay. I've intellectually in my brain heard the truth, but now I want to practice. I'm going to try this. I'm going to practice it. You start coming into the light and that guess what? Your deeds may be manifested as having been wrought by God. Rot. What a great word. It's an old English word that means to be built, to be formed, to be encapsulated. So what's being built here is, is as firm as the universe. It's as solid as the rock upon which you build a house or stand. It's something Mm. that cannot be broken or changed. It is a sense of reality that I know who I am, where I fit in this universe, that the God who created it loves me, then I can walk and live in that knowledge. That's why God's love for you is so critical is because it doesn't put you in a nightclub and turn down the lights and blow smoke at you and say, oh, look how great your life is. What it does is it opens the doors, it turns on the lights, and then you go, uh, it's not as pretty as I thought. And then Jesus says, okay, let's get to work. Let's renovate. Let's get going, man. We're going to do some DIY in here and you're the before you may not be happy with, but the after the reveal phenomenal. Love it. Well, we are out of time for today, but we'll pick this back up on Thursday. And then obviously Sunday, we'll wrap the whole thing up. We appreciate you guys being here with us. Make sure you're having conversations about what we're talking about, what we're, what we're discussing here. Cause that's how you're going to really forge your beliefs and the way you think. Um, and we just appreciate you guys being with us. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the salty pastor podcast. Blessings. Blessings.